All right, good morning. Uh, very thankful uh, last week for Corey Stumney coming down to visit with us and uh, fill in for me uh, as I get to celebrate my wife and uh, just have a good weekend with the family. So I do appreciate you all. And I really appreciate Corey. I got to watch his, uh, his talk and I think you guys, uh, you know, sold yourself short by hiring a guy like me sometimes. But, uh, you know, he's a good buddy of mine. So I was, I'm, I'm hopefully we'll be able to trade places a few more times uh, throughout the years uh, just to be able to you know, hear from somebody else every now and then. So uh, it's always good. Um, like I've said several weeks in a row, this is one of my favorite Sundays. I'm always a little bit more amped up on Senior Sunday because we got, we got these awesome decorations for one. And it just reminds me of, you know, going through high school. I was thinking this morning through all those memories uh, of doing high school and having all of those good times together. But really, the church celebration is really fun. Uh, so I'm super excited for it. And we're going to continue celebrating our grads after this. We're going to have some food. So we do want to invite you all to stay and have, have a meal with us as well, but no, no hard feelings if you've got, got places to go as well. Um, but this is a message for our grads, for our grads' families, uh, but I really hope it, it extends beyond that as well, okay? I, I want this to be a letter to our grads and their families wherever they're sitting at this time, uh, but this is a, really a message for everybody to take in what it means to be a Christian today as we go th- for this transition for them in their lives But really, all of us can kind of reflect and say, hey, you know what? This applies to me as well. So today, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew 3 and 4. And so we already read this passage. Damien read the passage about Jesus' baptism, where he goes to John, and he has this totally supernatural experience. And I believe it is appropriate to call it that because God transcends nature in this way. The heavens open up. This voice speaks These words here, these beautiful words that Jesus hears, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. It's almost like a graduation, sort of, right? When I was thinking of graduation Sunday, I was thinking of this big event, this kind of threshold event where you step through it and something else happens in your life that's going to be totally different. And I see the baptism of Jesus, I see the heavens open up, the Spirit descends on him like a dove. And he has this magical experience almost, and God is speaking to him, and there's this awesome moment. And if it were me, if I was writing the movie, this is when the music's going to come on, right? You know, I, for some reason, Call Me Out, or Call Me Out, the song, the, the intro of that, bah, 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 that's what I'm hearing in my head right now. I don't know why, that's the celebration music. But that's not what happens. If you've read scripture before, that's actually the opposite of what happens. In Matthew chapter 4, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So I lied before, we're not going to have food, actually. This is all a setup. We're all going to fast for 40 days. No, I'm just kidding. But really, we have this, this experience with Jesus, and I'm always really struck by how These two things just don't seem to be congruent with one another, right? We have Jesus being spoken to by God, the heavens opening up, and then immediately from that that mountaintop incredible experience, he's led into this wilderness experience. The highest of highs to seemingly what you and I might consider a pretty low low, fasting for 40 days. I've tried it. It's not very easy for me. I don't know, maybe somebody in here is really good at fasting for 40 days at a time. If you are, please come talk to me afterwards. But it's a crazy thing to think about this spiritual high to this kind of wilderness. What is going to happen next? 
And I'm reminded of, of my graduation in this, in this time as well. Like We have this kind of Jesus graduation, but when I think about these high experiences, I think about my experience in graduating where you go through all the graduation party weeks, right? I don't know if you guys, the grads, have had, had your friends had graduation parties. Uh, I loved that week or two. I'd be going from people's houses to houses, eating a bunch of food and leaving. It was great. One time, I actually... Uh, my friend, she was a little fancier than my other friends. She had like a chart house thing. And I didn't know what this, I'd never been to this restaurant in my life, okay? A guy like me doesn't go to places like that. Um, and I walked in there with my, my swim trunks on and flip-flops and I was way underdressed. But I got my plate of food and I left. I didn't hurt anybody, right? It was a great, great week. I loved the graduation week experience. I loved it. It's a celebration time and time again. I had a great graduation party. Fun fact. My graduation party in my backyard, one of my close friends, he was a guitar player and he would go around singing and, and singing songs and my dad insisted on paying him. He was a really good singer. Three years later, he won the X Factor on TV. That was pretty cool. And my dad's like, hey, I booked him for $100 for your graduation party. <laughs> that was pretty cool, right? Um, so we have kind of this framework of what a, what a celebration looks like. And we have this celebration, it seems like, where Jesus is baptized and the heavens open up and God speaks to him. But this doesn't seem like a celebration. It's almost like incongruent with what our minds think of as a celebratory thing to do after a celebratory worthy event takes place. Am I right? Going to the wilderness. Why are we going to the wilderness? This doesn't make much sense. But we need to look at the language here before we go any further, right? This is a very, very important phrase within all of this. Jesus was led by the Spirit. Let's read that out loud together. One, two, three. Jesus was led by the Spirit. And if you're hearing this and you're thinking, okay, this is reminding me of something it should. This reminds me of Exodus 13. I've talked about this before, but just for the, the sake of being on the same page this morning. This is when the Israelites are wandering in the desert. They, they have this, this, I'll just read it right here in verse 21. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud and guided them on their way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar or cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. This is the same spirit, okay? The same exact spirit that is continually leading God's people through very tumultuous situations is leading Jesus from the baptismal experience to something that we might consider to be tumultuous. The Spirit is consistently leading. The Spirit is consistently with His people. So we go from this holy supernatural to being led into the wilderness, and then this takes place after all that fasting and all that 40 days takes place. Let's read this in Matthew 4, beginning in verse 3. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil came to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, then throw yourself down, for it is written... He will command His angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike their foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put your Lord and your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. 
All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. So let's put this into context once again. We have this supernatural experience, this mountaintop holy experience where God is speaking directly to Jesus and saying, I am so proud of you. He goes from there to the wilderness for a very long time. And then during that period, he's also put to the test, tempted by Satan. And we, I don't want to be parse this out too much, but we know that when we talk about Satan, we're not talking about like a, a horns and a pitchfork guy, okay? We're talking about an adversary. The word Satan means adversary, right? And we want to make sure that we're not cartoonizing this, because I think when we cartoonize it, we also take away that this is an actual temptation that Jesus probably experienced. Sometimes when we read these things, I think that we take away the human aspect of Jesus and say, yeah, but it really wasn't that bad of a temptation for Jesus, I think that's selling it all short. If it wasn't a temptation, I don't think it would be called one, okay? So Jesus is actually being tempted here by an actual tempter. Okay, let's look at these one by one. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. And all this I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. Going through all of these, we can can say, okay, uh, Jimmy, I've already heard this before, right? This is Jesus. He quotes back the Torah every single time. It says that Jesus is a great scholar. It says that Jesus knows his Bible. and He knows the exact right thing to say at the exact right time. But really what I think it all comes back to is that all these things that are offered up to Jesus, Jesus has already accepted a better offer from God. The offers that Satan keeps putting before him turn these stones into bread. Jesus is like, yeah, that's small potatoes, man. Not to make a bad food pun, but that, I've already heard something. What what else do you got? If you are the son of God, then throw yourself down. You know what? I'm not going to put God to test because I already have a great assurance in God. You know what? If you bow down, you will have all this. He gives him his best Mufasa speech, right? All that your eye can see can be yours. As long as you bow down and worship me. And all the while I hear this rhythm in Jesus' head saying, you know what? I've already said yes to God. It makes it a whole lot easier to say no to you. I've already accepted everything that you're offering me. I've already accepted it in a far better way than whatever you're giving me here. Right? It's like saying, hey, would you rather have Domino's or, or this, this high class pizza from this great chef? I'm not going to have dominoes. I've had plenty of dominoes in my life. And it seems like Satan is offering up a lot of dominoes. He's already said yes to a far greater offer. And whatever Satan is giving him just pales in comparison. And I I say that within the context of still recognizing that these are real temptations for Jesus. I'm not trying to diminish that. Because it wouldn't be call the temptation of Jesus if it was not actual true temptations. But when I think through all of this, when I think through all this, it's easy for me to say, he's already said yes to God. Many of you in here could raise your hand and say, yes, Jimmy, I've already said yes to God as well. But we're still tempted. We still are facing these things where, you know what, that's a pretty good offer, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take that deal. 
My question is, how is Jesus so confident? Where did he get this confidence that allows him to say with such confidence, no, I've already accepted a better offer? I think it has everything to do with the wilderness. The wilderness is the exact place where Jesus grew to the person he was able to be in these moments. I'm going to get to that in a little bit greater detail here in a second, but I need to show you my favorite commercial of all time. So you got, you got um, sound? America is still the land of rugged individualists. I I was strong as I could be. I go around. Nothing ever got to me. And every one of them demands something different from their Chevy truck. But they all want the same thing. The most dependable, longest lasting trucks on the road. All right. If you were a kid growing up, when I grew up, or if you were, had TV, Bob Seger singing Like a Rock is probably going to be in your mind for the rest of your life. <laughs> My favorite part is thinking about the marketing people that were sitting around the table saying, how can we connect to everybody? And the word they used is the rugged individualist. I don't, that, that just to me is just a great, great two words combined there to talk about Chevy trucks. I really don't have a preference. If you come and talk to me and try to argue about vehicles, you're talking to the wrong person. Um, but I love this commercial, not only because I love Bob Seger and his, and his vocal, you know, his, his raspy vocals, but what I love about this, this commercial is that they make it so dusty and rugged in that when you drive these trucks, you'll be ready for absolutely everything. One of those scenes had this like 7,000 ton bag of sand just thrown into the back of this truck. That thing like went seven feet off the ground. That truck is probably broken. I hope, I, 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 they're not, I, I think OSHA would have some problems with this video. But what I love about that is they're trying to conjure up within you saying, you know what, these trucks are battle tested and ready for anything. And guess what? You can be too. As long as you buy this truck, you too can become a rugged individualist like everybody else in this video. And they want you to think that because you have this truck, you can do anything as well. You are the type of person who gets things done. And because they have these commercials, you think, oh, they've gone through all these things. These trucks are truly battle-tested. And if I buy this truck too, I myself will be battle-tested and I myself will be built like a rock. But the problem is, is that these trucks, they might be great and they might be able to tow a whole bunch of, of things and carry seven tons of sand in the back. Um, but just because you own a truck like that doesn't mean that makes you like a rock. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you are yourself battle tested. Just because your vehicle can do these things doesn't make you all of a sudden a different type of person. And what I'm trying to get to this morning is the recognition is that the wilderness experience that Jesus had before his temptation was his experience of being battle-tested. His experience of going through that and connecting with God in those moments were extremely important for the rest of his ministry. In fact, if you look out throughout the rest of the Gospels, you're going to find that Jesus is always trying to sneak away to the wilderness. He's always trying to be alone so that he can connect with his Father. So for us, we're looking at Scripture and saying, that sounds like a terrible experience 
40 days in the wilderness, for Jesus, it was the time where he was fully charged and ready for whatever God was going to do for him in his life. The wilderness no longer became a scary place of isolation. It became the only place that he could actually fully connect with God, I believe. Those times where he could be alone and be alone with God and kind of wonder, okay, God, what do you have for me next? The wilderness was no longer scary. It was the place that he desperately needed to be who he was going to be. It was this battle testing. It was this place where all those victories were kind of coming from, stemming out of, was the wilderness. And over and over again, throughout all Scripture, this wilderness motif is super significant. Remember when we talked about David? He's in the wilderness a lot. We talk about the Israelites. They're in the wilderness a lot. We ourselves look at the wilderness as a bad place, but in fact, it is the optimal place for us to be grown and for us to be tested and for us to eventually triumph. The wilderness is where we can actually be built like a rock, Not in the same way that Chevy's trying to have us be built like a rock. But it's the place where we can grow and stretch ourselves to be who God is calling us to be. I say that Jesus already said yes to something else, right? These temptations that he got, he he recognizes that he's already said yes to something else. But the wilderness is where all of his strength grew from. But the most important part of all of this is that Jesus was not alone in the wilderness, right? Right? Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. It was in that place where the Spirit was able to grow within him, I think, and grow him to be who he's going to be for his ministry. And so the only point that I have, I have one thing to say, and there's kind of two caveats to it, so give me some wet wiggle room here. I'm almost done. There's one thing I want for our grads to know, for their parents, for everybody in here really, but specifically our grads and their parents is embrace the wilderness. Embrace the wilderness to allow it to grow you. Embrace the wilderness to be a scary place where you might not know what's going to happen next. But allow that experience to be an experience. Allow that experience to be the place where you do recognize, you know what? I don't have to do this all by myself. That's the one thing I... I'm not going to blame anybody. It was probably a Jimmy problem. But when I left the house, I felt like finally I can do everything on my own. And there are so many people in my life that are saying, hey, you don't have to. You don't have to do it on your own. I remember moving into my dorm at UCF. I told my parents not to come. (laughs) And it was the worst day ever. Okay? It was a million degrees outside. And I can't park near my dorm. I have all my stuff inside this massive Rubbermaid container. And I'm like huffing and puffing. And like dying outside trying to care. People are like, hey, do you need help? I'm like, oh, I got it. That was my mentality. I didn't have it. And I had to go three floors up. It was not great. But that's just a microcosm of how I experienced, I got to figure this out on my own. My encouragement, I'm not, I don't want to demand or tell you guys anything, but please recognize you're not by yourself. I mean, look around. This is pretty cool. And this isn't just to say, hey, we can do cool decoration stuff too. This is people saying, we love you guys a lot. Wherever you go, whatever happens to you, there's always going to be a place for you here. I've, ex- I've expressed this to you. There's always going to be a phone number that I'm going to answer and say, how can I be of service to you? How can I be your friend? How can I, how can I help you off this ledge? Whatever, whatever you're going through in your life, how can I help you? 
And it's not just me. There's a lot of people in this room that want to be there for you. But you're going to be stepping through a threshold. And it's maybe not be a wilderness for 40 days of fasting, but this is a type of wilderness. A type of wilderness where you're going to be stretched, where you're going to grow, and hopefully come out the other side recognizing, hey, you know what? The Spirit was with me. Never stop asking questions. Never stop asking questions. I keep saying that over and over again because the the thing that I always hear from people is, oh, my church never let me ask any questions. And I always tell the teens, if I hear you say that, I'm going to materialize out of nowhere. (laughs) I promise you I will. I promise you I will. There's always room for questions. There's always room for growth. Even when you're in this place where you feel like you have nobody around you in this wilderness, you always have the Spirit and you always have a whole lot of people in this room. And that doesn't just go for the grads. This extends beyond them. If you're sitting in the church, you're new here, you've come here for a little bit, you say, oh, nobody knows me. Let's make a change there as well. Let's not allow your, whatever threshold you've gone through, whatever wilderness you're experiencing, don't let it be in isolation. Allow yourself to recognize that you could be around people in your community that are actively wanting to help you and be a support system to you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for uh, giving us an opportunity to worship this morning. I, I, I'm really excited that we get to fellowship and celebrate our, our grads, but I really want to give them the encouragement that even though whatever is coming next might seem like a wilderness, there's so much growth that can take place there. There's so many people that want to help them along the way. And I know that at this time you want to get out on your own and do your own thing, and that's, that's beautiful. That's a really, really good thing. But just know in the back of your mind that even if you fall, even if you have a doubt or struggle, there's people in this room that want to be of service to you. Know that it's not just the people, but it's the Holy Spirit of God that is with you as you go from this place. So just let me pray. Amen. We want to offer up an invitation to anybody who might be struggling in this. If you are in a wilderness experience and you feel alone, I pray that you don't feel that way anymore by by coming forward and giving that to God. We want to be a church uh, that is known for being there for people. If you have any needs at all, won't you make them known while we come and, and stand and sing?